Deuteronomy 16. We pick back up here and we find that Moses has been discussing or continues to discuss on topics regarding to the feasts. There are major feasts. There are seven in total. If you want to look at it from one perspective, we'll go into a little bit more details as we go. But tonight we look in Deuteronomy 16 and there's a reason that God is going to emphasize through Moses to his people about keeping the kind of the pilgrim's feast or those feasts, the three feasts that required for the men and families to come to Jerusalem to actually partake in Jerusalem at the temple where the tabernacle was, whatever that stage was of the celebration. Not all feasts required the people to come from all over to Jerusalem. But we saw in the Deuteronomy chapter 15 at the very end there, if you notice in verses 19 through 23, we talked about the sanctifying of the firstborn animals. Tonight we're going to catch here in chapter 16 uh, the sacrifice of the feast of uh, Passover. That's the first thing we're going to talk. And if you can separate or have it as one, the observing of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread that we will see there. And then we're going to take a look at the provision of the Feast of uh, Weeks. And then finally, at the, toward the end, we're going to talk about the rejoicing of the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, the emphasis will be on three of the feasts and, uh, and how important that is from God's observance. And the observance of these feasts are important because God was providing guidance and providing clarity to his people how to live rightly for him. But we also now know on the other side of the coin, the New Testament, we see now this being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I will try to make that, Lord willing, make those connections for you on the prophecies of here of the teaching and in looking in the prophetic view of the New Testament in regards to each of these festivals in relations to Jesus. But here in Deuteronomy 16, verses 1 and 2, we see the sacrifice of, or the observance of the, of the Feast of Passover. And it says, Observe the month of Bib, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. Notice in these first just couple of, of verses how important it is that we know exactly the time of the year uh, of the uh, month of Abib, which is about March-April time frame. We see that from the Jewish ceremonial calendar, of course. And then we keep look, it says to keep that Passover to the Lord your God. So you have to kind of reflect back what, is, what happened at this Passover? When did that start? And it was all referring back and, and bringing a remembrance to the people there to remember that God brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt by night. And if you remember that, uh, recall back in Exodus and other numbers that we studied in regards to around the Passover. We have to remember Passover was the nation of Israel's Independence Day. And since we just celebrated Independence Day, this was their Independence Day for the nation of Israel. For on that night, the Lord not only gave them freedom from slavery, but also demonstrated his great power and ability to take the nation over uh, out of Egypt and overcome the Egyptian gods that they worship, the armies of God and all the wealth and resources and, and, 
available to the Pharaoh, God overshowed his great power. I mean, we studied the, you know, the plagues, we studied the, 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 uh, the turmoil that caused upon just his rebellion heart, the hardened heart of, of, uh, of Pharaoh at that time. But we see how God overcame that. And Israel celebrated the Passover that night that brought them out. The next time they celebrated that Passover was one year later at, after Sinai. We see that in Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. But if you remember, from that point on, there was a rebellion at Kadesh Barnea, Numbers 13 and 14, if you want to go back and, and read on that. But from that point on there, they did not celebrate Passover until they went into the promised land. And here's where he's reminding them as an overview of what Passover is and what they need to do and the guidelines and the boundaries when it comes to uh, fulfilling the observ uh, observance of this feast of Passover. So it's important to remember that as he's providing and presenting this again, it was for the purpose of the parents, the elderly people, to teach the younger, the parents to teach the children, that, and instruct their children about Israel's deliverance from Egypt. It was important never to forget what God had mightily done for the nation of Israel and bringing them out of slavery, bringing them out of bondage into freedom to worship God and to live for God and to please God in all the things they say and do. But parents were to take this, op uh, this occasion, this opportunity, when they observed the Feast of Passover, to not just, oh, this is going to be a great meal. Oh, it's the once a year we finally can get the family together in the one room and finally and hopefully it'll be a peaceful and it won't be already arguing among the, the family and we'll get to see and take pictures. and No, 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 that's not what it was about. It was a formalized Passover dinner and it was all about celebrating and in remembrance of what God has done for that. It wasn't just some holiday. How many times people like in 4th of July, they celebrated, but many times did not celebrate for the reason why we celebrated. Didn't even remember, even observe, and even acknowledge what the 4th of July, it's just a holiday. We don't have to work this week. So it's no different today than it was back then. But God said, this is an observance and you must do in remembrance of me. Why is that important? Well, let's see what happens here. Because as this first Passover, each family in Israel, remembered that night in Egypt, sacrificed the Passover lamb that we refer to at their home. God said to do this, and they by faith had to take that step and find that spotless kind of lamb, that nice perfect lamb for a certain size of that family, and they had to sacrifice that lamb and not only were they to sacrifice it for the meal but that wasn't the purpose of that as important as it was for them to take that blood and to put it on the doorpost of that house why because the by faith in taking the blood to cover the house was the indication that they're taking a step of faith and trusting that God was going to deliver them from bondage. And so when 
The angel, the dark, angel of darkness came over and wiped out the firstborn, not only the firstborn child of a male child, but also the animal. And all the houses that took the step of faith and trusted in the blood being placed on the doorpost, on the side and atop, they were saved. Then they were then quickly to be exited out of Egypt and heading to the wilderness. Now this first Passover, when Israel was delivered from Egypt, and God sent his judgment upon that firstborn of Egypt, and as God passed over the homes which believed in God's word and obediently sacrificed that Passover lamb, and applied the blood to that family home. Those are important things to think about. Because prophetically, by them keeping that Passover to the Lord, in the New Testament perspective, the Feast of Passover clearly presents the Lamb with Jesus Christ. We refer to Jesus as our Passover. Where do we see that? I'll give you the references. That the Lamb of God who gave his life for the sins of the world. Go back and read John chapter 1 verse 29. 1 Corinthians 5 7. 1 Peter 1 19. And Revelation chapter 5 verse 12. Each of those verses represents and shows the description of who Jesus Christ is. Our Passover Lamb. Because outside of that moment in time when the Lamb of God who was sacrificed on that cross for you and I, whose blood was received and applied so the wrath of God would pass over them in Egypt, it will pass over those who believe in that of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, that... that time when Jesus is on that cross, you have to remember, he was the, just north of the city of Jerusalem, out just outside of the gate, and it was at that place on Golgotha, on that hill, on that cross, it was at exact time when the priests are uh, now ceremonially in the temple sacrificing the lambs. And you would be able to hear these lambs being sacrificed one after another for the, for the covering of the sins of the nation of Israel. And it was outside the city and Jesus died on that cross exactly at that time when the Passover lambs were being slain by the priests. The blood shed by many lambs of, in Egypt from the very first time coming out of Egypt and ever since they um, did the Passover, many lambs were slain just to cover the sins of the nation. But it never takes away completely the sin of the nation. And that's why they had to repeat this sacrifice over and over and over to continue to cover the sins of the nation of Israel. But the blood of Jesus Christ was settled the matter of salvation once and for all on the cross. Go back and read Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 18. As clear of a message for you on that. Now remember, it's, it wasn't the life of the Lamb that saved Israel from bondage. 
Oh, it was the lamb who had died for us. Oh, that saved Israel. It wasn't just because it was the lamb. But it was the death of the lamb and its blood that was sacrificed. And the application of that blood by faith on the doorpost or sprinkled on the altar to that covered the sins of the nation of Israel. We first need to trust Jesus as our Savior. Many times people ask, how can I follow Jesus? How do I live my life of following Jesus? And what do I need to do? He's my example. You first have to trust Jesus as your Savior. And then we can follow his steps. Now we see here in verses 3 through 5, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread that's associated with the Passover, and sometimes you can refer to them as two separate things, two separate feasts, or one is the same with Passover. But understand, and here in the scriptures, we see it broken out by Moses here, by the Holy Spirit. He says, you shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. So we see the first Passover, the unleavened bread, was a practical necessity because they did not have time to raise the bread up. There was not to have any yeast in it. It was, had nothing. They were just going to create this flat bread to eat it very quickly with the meal and be out of there. They didn't have time to raise the bread. And so as they left Egypt in a hurry, they had no time to do this. And this is what we refer to that unleavened bread following the Passover. And still, even after the Passover, they still today, even then, always comes back to unleavened bread during this ceremony. Why? Well, in the scripture, we know leaven, yeast, it was a picture of sin and corruption. And because of the way a little leaven would influence the whole lump of the dough, it's like cancer. It's a little bit and it will spread and take over. And sin will do the same thing. It starts small. It never stays small. It will spread and affect the entire lump or the of the dough. And also because of the way leaven will puff up the bread, it represents in the scripture pride and sin, that pride and sin that puffs one's person up in, uh, in, their, in their life. But I want to emphasize this point because so many times people say, oh, yeast and unleavened bread and it's and you're just a little little yeast and it's, it's, it's sin. But let me give you more scriptures for you to understand how clear it is in regards to this point. Because in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, yeast represents the sins that belong to the old life. So when you someone says, oh, the yeast is, oh, it's just sin. I don't have it. He said, well, it's anything that's of the old life that doesn't please God. It's not just specifically sin. It's anything that doesn't please God. We also see that malice and wickedness in 1 Corinthians 5.8 refers to this yeast or this leaven. We talk about hypocrisy in Luke 12.10 is re referenced as 
this leaven in one's life. It also represents unbelief. So when you have an unbelief, it is leaven. It is sin. It's, it's something that's in your life. If you're not careful, unbelief will spread in your life. And you have to be very careful of that. We also see compromise. When you start compromising and how you live your life for Christ. Again, it's leaven. We see that in Mark 8.15. And we also see in Galatians 5, 9, yeast being referred to as false doctrine. It's just a little something. Eh, it's, a little slight, it's a little slight off. It's no big deal. Most of it, you know, most of the time when they're teaching and what I'm listening to, it's pretty straight on. But it's just, just a few things. But be very careful. False doctrine is referenced as yeast. It's going to only a matter of time. It's going to spread and it's going to get worse. So God called them to walk unleavened after their initial deliverance from, uh, from Egypt. It's a symbolically to, to say, I'm choosing today to walk this pure walk with the Lord. I don't want anything, small or large. I just know it's, if I don't walk away from the old life, if I don't get these things out and, and let God work in my life to get this purchase out, he, he, he died for it all. The blood covers it all. I'm white as sin. I, I'm not going back. I'm not touching it. I'm not going to compromise. If you, I'm going to live this pure walk with the Lord. And that purity of the feast of the unleavened bread followed by the blood deliverance of Passover, we can only walk in the purity of the Lord. After you've decided to receive the blood deliverance on the cross, you are to now walk purely with the Lord. There's not a half-hearted life. There's no a Christian in living in the, the world and in, in this life for, for completely surrendered to God. You can't live that. It's a miserable life. And, a matter, and it's only a matter of time you will fully drift away. You will spiral out of control. And the sin will take over and ravage your life and those around you. So you shall not eat no leavened bread with it. It's in a prophetically, the feast of the unleavened bread relates to the time Jesus' burial. After his perfect, sinless sacrifice on the cross, during which he was received by God the Father as holy and complete. The Holy One who would not see corruption. We see that reference in Acts chapter 2, verse 27. He perfectly accomplished our salvation. That is how the Father sees the Son for taking the sin on Him on the cross. So we may regard the burial sometimes. Oh, Jesus is on the cross. Oh, and then He resurrected from the tomb. But many times... People don't talk or reference of the time while he's in entombment, while he's actually in there for three days. Why do you think that's part of the gospel? The emphasis of being in the tomb for three days. Well, because we have to understand the actual entombment of Jesus was not some small things from God's redemptive plan. It's a big part of the God's redemptive plan. It was the essential part of the gospel. Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. It says, For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He emphasized the point that he was buried, he was dead. 
He didn't go from the cross and you think he's dead and then I'll find him alive. No, he was dead for three days. Buried. The nation of Israel was not rescued from Egypt by cleaning their homes. They were not rescued from Egypt because they got rid of the yeast in their life. Out of their homes. That's what saved them. No, it wasn't the act that they tried to get their house clean and get the yeast out. That's not what saved them from Egypt. They were delivered by the power of God because of the blood that had been sprinkled on the doorposts of their homes by faith. That's what saved them. And as sinners, today, sinners are not redeemed by getting rid of their bad habits. That doesn't save you by getting rid of your bad habits. By cleaning up your lives, let me get my life in order, and then, I, I, then I, I, I'll get saved. That's not how it works. It's only by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for them on the cross. That is what saves you. I should say that's who saves you. Is that relationship you put your life trusted into. Verses 5 through 8 of 16, it just says you may not sacrifice the Passover. Here's some of the guidance or regulations around Passover. It says you may not sacrifice the Passover with any of your, of your gates which the Lord your God gives you. But at the price where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight. At the going down of the sun and at the time you come out of Egypt and when you roast and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses and in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread and on the seventh day there shall be a sacred assembly of the Lord your God and you shall do no work on it. So it gives you some boundaries and guidance because now as God's asking them to fulfill the feast of this uh, of the Passover, the unleavened bread that followed those seven days. Many times people will take what God's asked them and then just try to remold it and shape it and decide when and how and where they're going to celebrate and do what God's called them to do. We kind of take the matter in our own hands now. Thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you for giving us this guidelines. Thank you for giving us this. But we're going to tweak it a little bit and do whatever we want to do and however we do it. That's not how it works. God said, not only are you going to do it the way I ask you to do it and how you're going to do it, but where I tell you to, wherever I place my name, that is where you're going to be coming. You don't sit there and say, oh, I don't feel like going to Jerusalem. Do you feel like you're going to Jerusalem? Oh, no, that's a Tuesday walk. I don't feel like that. I've got other better things to do. It's summer, you know. No. They knew. They had to be obedient and observe exactly what God said them to do. They were going to get up regardless of how they feel. And they're going to travel. Those men were going to travel. And their families, many times would bring their families, they were encouraged to bring their families, to come and to worship God where God's name was placed. If it was not the tabernacle, then it moved into the temple. And that is... Uh, that was God, how God designed it. They didn't get to choose. They followed God. God didn't follow them. Now we see the observance of the Feast of Weeks. We refer to, or the, uh, uh, the, uh, in the New Testament, as Pentecost. We see this here. You shall court seven weeks for yourself. Begin to, I'm sorry, 
We shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. So we see very quickly right here the Feast of Weeks, or a New Testament perspective correlation of Pentecost, was a feast associated with the joy of harvest, during which the Israelites brought a free will offering to the Lord, and they would, they would travel again, hours or days, whatever it took to come to, to the temple, to come to the tabernacle, and they would bring their free will offering. What is a free will offering? It was what, however God has blessed them, and it was in accordance to how God blessed them, is what they would bring and haul down to, to, to worship. And it was to be with a joy and a gladness and a celebration in this Feast of Weeks. And it was a demonstration of the thankful hearts they had of God's provision for them during the time of harvest. Now, the joy of Pentecost, as we, we, I keep referring to it here. It says, let's look at verses 11 and 12. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you and your son, and your daughter, and your male servant, and your female servant, the, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow who are among you, at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes." So in the feast of uh, this feast of weeks, it was celebrated 50 days after one other celebration or feast called first fruits. First fruits is not referenced in this chapter, but in the previous studies of this of the uh, of all the feast, this took 50 days after the first fruits, which means that it occurred on the first day of the week. Now, if it's interesting, the purpose was for to rejoice. There was no ritual of sacrifice commanded at, at uh, Pentecost or this week of feast. Instead, it was a time of joyful thanksgiving from the wheat harvest and them to come as the heart response to God and come and worship at that place. Now, you should remember the joy of Pentecost was intensified by remembering the bondage of Israel had escaped, or the week of feast. It was a whole celebration, again, pointing back to what God had done, what God had done, what God had done. It was never about, look what we've accomplished, look what we are so good, look at how big my farm is, look at how many servants I had, oh, and let me count you how many barns, how many barns did you have? Can you see it coming down, and if their hearts are not right, you're coming down to Jerusalem, and says, how many barns do you have on your property? Oh, I've, I'm up to five barns now you only have two barns that is not the right heart when you gather together it is about what God has accomplished what God is doing what God has provided not what you've achieved the only thing what you've achieved and what you're joyful should be about is the fact that it was God's blessing upon your life that's the celebration that's why when you gather together and you worship God it's never about you it's it's never about comparison of anyone else it's always about the relationship, the loving relationship that God has with you and has blessed you in providing for you and your family.
And that was what that, that joy was all about. And so from Leviticus 23, verses 15 through 21, describes this feast in Israel to celebrate by bringing the new grain offering to the Lord. And by waving, and initially they would come in with just two things of uh, of. Uh, Stocks of wheat, and it was just a, a symbolism of God's provision. But it's interesting when you match this with Pentecost and bring this into light of this prophetically. It's a powerful picture of the work of God in the new te- in the new covenant, fulfilling of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, because it commemorates for you as a, you and I as a Christian the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the church. Jesus promised he and the Father would send the Spirit to believers. We see that in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. But the Spirit couldn't come until when? Jesus had to die. He had had to be raised from the dead and had to be glorified and ascended into heaven. We see that in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. When that happened, Jesus and the Father said, we would send the Holy Spirit to be your helper and to come and to seal you for eternity for those who trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for their sins. And it was a moment then, once you realize, just like the Israelites were reflecting back of God's deliverance out of Egypt, we come to the table, we come to communion, we come and remember Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. That brings the same joy and the Pentecost in our life because the Holy Spirit came in and that's when the church started. That's when the Holy Spirit came in and sealed you and I, the church the church body, to now to worship and celebrate our Savior. And so when we take a look at the response to God on the day of Pentecost was not done out of an obligation to a particular law. It was the joyful heart response of God's people to what Jesus has done for them. How did that happen? Go back in Acts chapter 2. Read the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit came in and filled those people after they heard the word of God preached, then the Holy Spirit came into all of these lives that heard the word of God. And it changed their lives. The church was founded on the day of Pentecost. And it included the leavened bread, not unleavened bread, but the leavened bread of the Gentiles. And it was waved as holy before God, made holy by the works of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Because at that point in time, it wasn't just the Jews. It is now God is bringing in the Gentiles, that's you and I, as the Gentiles would now be grafted in and brought into the salvation redemptive plan of God. What a beautiful thing. And the observance of that for the Feast of the Weeks for the Israelites, but the day of Pentecost, the joy of Pentecost for you and I as believers today. The next observance is the observance of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And we see this in verses 13 through 15. And it says, you shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. 
When you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your winepress, and you shall rejoice in your feasts, and you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the, and the widow who are within your gates, seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and all the work of your hands, so that you surely rejoice. So just like in the, these other celebrations, it affects this one right here in regards to the Feast of the Tabernacles, really celebrates the entire family, including the servants and strangers and everybody, because it was a rejoiceful festival or feast that God is bringing people together. And we see this was to happen on the 15th day of the Jewish month of Tishri, which is the seventh month of the Jewish ceremonial uh, calendar, which would be September-October time frame that we would refer to on our calendar. So after the fall fest uh, harvest that took place, referenced in Leviticus 23:39, we see this festival taking place on that 15th day of that month. And they were to live for one week in a tabernacle or booths or the festival of the feast of the boost or the festival of the boost. Now, booths, and you remember and you've probably seen and read about it <clears throat> that it was to remind them how their ancestors lived in the wilderness with just sticks and some foliage over how they lived in these tabernacles, these tents going through the wilderness. It was again a physical remembrance of a display of what their ancestries did, of how God brought them out of Egypt. Why was that important? Because God wanted the people for generation upon generation to never forget what God did for the people coming out of Egypt. And this is one of those beautiful celebrations of the people coming together and building these little booths, living in these booths under the stars, just like their ancestors did. So the Feast of the Tabernacles was a time to rejoice, not to be slumber, slumbered, but God's deliverance and provision for Israel through the time of wandering. A time when having come to the promised land, looking back with gratitude and thankfulness of what God has done for them through these troubling times, these changing times, these tough times that people have, and how important it is for us that we have a celebration of what God has brought you through, tough times, difficult times, even times when you wandered and you were not walking with God, and you, you, God brought you out of that. You need to now celebrate what God is doing, doing in your life now, moving forward. Yes, remembrance and never wanting to go back and being thankful and grateful for God for bringing you through those times, but you must celebrate these things even because what God has done so faithful in people's lives. Leviticus 23.39 says that the Feast of Time Hours, on the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest. Note. And on the eighth day, at the very end, will be another Sabbath, Sabbath rest. So the Feast of Tabernacles, unique of all the other fest feasts, they had this time where they began with rest, being still, Going through the seven days, and at the end of the, the eighth day, they would then find rest once again. 
And it's a time of celebration, a time of refreshment, a time of rest in remembering what God had done. And again, I, I make that emphasis because so many times we will go, I just want to find rest. Well, where are you going to find rest? Just physical rest or are you going to rest in the Lord? I just want to be refreshed. Okay, you're going to be go to some spa treatment or are you going to find rest and refreshment for your soul and for your spirit? Are you going to time where you say, I'm going to go take this time with the Lord, but you're just going on vacation? Are you really taking the time to rest and be refreshed in the Lord? There's a difference. <laughs> We've all been on vacations, and we need a vacation from a vacation. And we wish we would have done it differently at hindsight sometimes. But after you get old enough, and you've done that a few times in your life, you realize now when we take vacations, it is really a restful, refreshing time. Because we didn't do that when we were our 20s. We didn't learn it quick enough. In 30s, we didn't probably learn it quick enough. But now, we've learned. It's time. We must rest. And we must rest in the Lord to rejuvenate and reflect, refresh us in these times. So, We see this rest that we need to take. We see here of the great social good that God intended of this feast in the Sabbath and in these feasts because he, in this ancient culture, if you remember, they never took any days off. In that culture, you work, 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 work. You never rested, not even a day. But here the festivals, you, you, God commands that both holidays and vacation days are all centered on him. Because God knows we must rest in him. You can't just keep go, 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 work, work, work. And you're to include your maidservants and, 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 and manservants. And it was, it was all important that everyone find rest, even those who were serving you. So prophetically, the Feast of Tabernacles speaks of the millennial rest of comfort of God for Israel and all of God's people. Why? Because it's all about peace and rest from beginning to end in the millennial for us. Verse 16 and 17, the command to observe each of these three feasts, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, and the feast of the unleavened bread, and the feast of weeks, and at the feast of tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to... Not to themselves, not how they feel, but according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. So these, these were only three. Four, if you, you, you include the Feast of Unleavened Bread as a separate feast. But of, of the seven feasts of Israel, the other three that are not mentioned are the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of First Fruits, and the Feast of the Day of Atonement. Those three are not mentioned here in this chapter but obviously in the previous books. And it says all males, it was important for these three, they must go and gather there where God's tabernacle or the temple ultimately was. They must go there, every Jewish male, 
to the best of his ability, was to go to that place of that tavern, again, later to temple, and celebrate these feasts with the whole nation of Israel. But they many and were to include their families as well. But the commandment was the male of that household was to do that. Now, it's interesting. How did Jesus reflect or respond to these three commands of God about these festivals? Well, we've noticed in Luke 2, 41 and John 7, verses 2 and 10, that Jesus was obedient to this command. He made the trip from Galilee to Jerusalem to be part of these feasts we see in the scriptures. Now, verses 18 through 22 is really connected into chapter 17 and 18. We'll take those next week, but I'm going to cover these tonight just to connect and keep the chapter together here. But it leads to a new section or topic about God's allowance of appointing leaders over the nation of Israel and how important that became. Because again, God led them all the way through to this point. They're going into the promised land. Now as they go into the promised land, now God knows all things. He knows that the people, the people are going to be starting to be influenced. Now remember, Moses couldn't handle it as a leader, even though he was gifted by God to be a leader. They appointed other leaders to help him to, to see and to judge rightly during the time of coming out. We know that even with them, they also, each tribe, they set leaders in place and captains for war purposes and keeping the armies in order and stuff. So there's always been leaders that God has said to put into place to keep order. Well, this whole next section here into 17 and 18, we're going to see it even more. But the first thing he's going to talk about is the appointment of judges and officers. It says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you and according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So God knew the importance of having just judges and just officials for the nation of Israel to keep order in its good and right, according to God's, uh, God's view and his word. So God therefore commanded that they shall not do certain things. Don't pervert the justice. What is good and right? Don't pervert it. Don't twist it. Don't make what is good and right and now make that twisted and t- wrong shall be right and right shall be wrong. That should never happen. <laughs> he warns us at the end times when he comes back, what will happen? Right? Wrong will be right, right will be wrong. Everything will be twisted. And you can go on and on today. It's, it's played out in full stereo and full view of the twistedness of darkness of what is going to happen when you have a generation upon generation that is no longer walking and fearing of God. Are you with me? <laughs> I don't have to explain it. It is right in front of you. How, you know, sometimes we sit there and look at each other. How can this be happening? And you know what the answer is. I know exactly how this is happening. But you still ask that question because you're just like, you're, you're shocked. Like, 
Can't you see the truth? That, that, that's not true. No, that's not true. But they say it's true because they're literally in darkness and they believe it's true. But anyway, don't pervert the justice. Don't show partiality. Don't be prejudiced about how you're going to be judging these things. Oh, you're rich. Okay, we're going to give you a favor. Oh, you're this, you know, no, nothing, nothing was to be in prejudice, nor take a tribe, or take a bribe. You couldn't just sit there and go, okay, you know, you come from that tribe, we're going to judge you one way, and that tribe, oh, you're the smallest tribe. No, you can't. Tribe of Judah, they're huge, man. They got a lot of blood numbers. We'll give you a favor. No, you can't do that. And you can't sit there and say, you know, I'm pretty, you know, struggling here as a judge recently, and you, you can kind of slip me something here at the front gate, no one will notice. No, you can't bribe. Instead, they were to follow what is altogether just. And the judge had the responsibility to, to do justice. It was a responsibility. And God sees all things. And God will hold them accountable. Notice in verses 21 and 22, And you shall not plant for yourself any tree as a wooden image. Near the altar which you build for yourself to the Lord your God. You shall not set up a sacred pillar with the Lord your God, which your Lord your God hates. So it's not something, well, you know, maybe God won't really matter. It's no big deal. It's just a little pillar. So just a little stone. It's my favorite stone. We dug it out of the ground. Can't we just, you know, honor God for giving us this place and put this little stone here and like a worship stone or a little wooden thing and image that we bow down to no no God said I hate it don't 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 be putting anything in front of me don't have anything remember in the wilderness that God used the wood and the the serpent and they were being bit by snakes and God said to look upon that and you could be healed and saved remember that that story do you remember if you continue to read it what happened to that they ended up worshiping that that item. Well, God used to save him, item for the, to bring their attention by faith, to trust, and turn, it ended up turning twisted and ended up worshiping. And that ended up having to be you know, crushed and, and, and getting rid of because they started worshiping. It's just like the gold at the Mount Sinai and they turned it into a, a golden calf and they went from having this gold and making something of them to, again, physically look at something to worship. We've got to be very careful of those things as he warns them here because such a sacred totem, totem pole, we would refer to it at times, a, a sacred totem was very common for the Canaanites to bow down and worship. So Israel might have been tempted to be a seeker-sensitive type group and add this kind of item to their worship of God of Israel, and he wanted nothing to do with that. That's why you have to be very careful that you need to have some objects and some things for you to have in your presence to be able to worship God. It's, it helps you to be a seeker sensitive to the spirit. When you start hearing those things and you start thinking those things, you need to stop it. You need to stop it. God says of such things, God, the Lord your God hates. And so here as God's people tonight, we have many reasons to rejoice. We have such great 
reasons to rejoice of the greatness and the goodness of our Lord. Do you ponder on that daily? We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Passover. We've indwelt and empowered by the Spirit. Pentecost. We're generously supported by the Lord in our pilgrim journey. Tabernacles. And our time here on earth is brief. Our time here on earth is temporary. But one day we shall enter heaven where Jesus now prepares places for you and I. Amen.